All right. John 20. And we're just going to zoom in, on jump around a little bit, in, um, starting at verse 11. And we are going to look at the resurrection through the uh, life of one woman, through the interaction of one woman, Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' most courageous disciples, one of his most devoted disciples. And we find her in the garden weeping. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Today we're going to proclaim, on this Resurrection Sunday, we're going to proclaim this good news. That in a world that is held captive by hatred, that is held captive by bitterness, that's held captive by anger and by grief, resurrection frees us to be held and compelled by love alone. Resurrection frees us to be held, held captive, and compelled by love alone. This morning, I'm sure uh, many of you saw and heard the, the news that in Sri Lanka, as believers in Jesus gather together to worship in their places of worship, in their buildings, in eight different places all across Sri Lanka, the country, there was a coordinated attack, bombings of churches. Have you heard this? Over 207 people, as of this morning, there's probably more, 207 people were killed by these bombs. Over 560 people wounded and maimed by broken glass and shrapnel that went shooting through these buildings as the bombs landed. Now, no one has taken credit for these terrorist attacks. But I can tell you what is behind the awful, maniacal plot to bomb in a coordinated effort eight different places at the same time as people gather to worship. I can tell you what's behind that. It's anger. It's bitterness. It's desire for vengeance. 
with hatred. And whoever carried this attack out is held captive by these things. And they are compelled by these things. They are compelled. They are held and compelled by hatred and bitterness and anger. And the victims, I'll say, the victims of these church bombings and the Christians that will survive and are surviving this attack, they're going to be tempted towards captivity. They're going to be tempted to be held and compelled by anger, by revenge, by bitterness, by grief. This kind of attack, this kind of trauma is going to threaten to define the rest of their life, to hold them captive and to compel them with how they live the rest of their life. We know just a couple weeks ago as well that there are three, at least three African-American churches that have no place to worship because their buildings were burned to the ground. Motivated by people held captive by bitterness, anger, prejudice, discrimination, grief, whatever it is. Into this kind of world, can we proclaim hope? Can we, does resurrection matter? What I'm going to say is that resurrection has the power to free us to be held and compelled only by love. To be free from being held and compelled by anything else but love. The stuff that destroys our world. We are free from that. We are free from the sin. We are free from the bitterness. We are free from the anger. We are free from the contempt. We are free from the desire for vengeance and revenge. We are free from the trauma. We are free. And we are free to be held and compelled by God's love alone. Right? I did a funeral several years ago when I was in Texas, and it was of a man who um, had overdosed on uh, drugs. He was, he was addicted to heroin. And he was, it was a lifelong struggle to get off of heroin. And he was, he, he was constantly held captive by the trauma of his past. He was constantly held captive and compelled. What, what drove him in his life was the wounds and the trauma um, and the hurt that he had experienced as a young man and even into his adult years where he experienced great, just horrible things even in prison. And it drove him. And, and when I met with the family, they, they suspected through like really agonizing tears. They said, I think that he actually took his own life because he was so tormented by these demons. He was held captive by his past and he couldn't, it just defined his present and he couldn't see into the future. And as we were having this funeral, um, his, his uh, sons and his daughters and his aunts and his uncles came up and shared how much they loved him. And when they had all shared, his wife got up after his children and friends had all spoken of their great love for him. And his wife said, the tragedy of his life is that he refused to believe 
the love we all had for him. See, he was held and compelled by guilt. He was held and compelled by his trauma. He was held and compelled by the hurt that had been inflicted upon him, by the mistakes that he had made, by the sins that he had committed, by the sins committed against him. And what this man needed, he needed this truth. He needed the power and the gospel, the good news of resurrection to penetrate his heart. That he is free to be held and to be compelled by the love of God alone. He is free to be held by nothing else but the love of God. And that is the hope and that is the good news of resurrection this morning. So I want to ask, what is holding you? What holds you and what compels you? What holds you back from living life in freedom and in love and in joy and in peace? And what is driving you? What is compelling you to live your life? Are you compelled and driven by guilt? Are you compelled and driven by your trauma? Are you held in place and held back in life by what has happened to you, by your past? We are free from it. There's a woman in this story, Mary Magdalene, as I said, one of Jesus' most courageous and bold disciples. And we meet her in the garden after Christ has been crucified tortured on a cross and buried in a tomb. And we meet her in a garden. I think it's interesting in the text. you got verses 11 uh, and then verse 13 and 14. It, we see Mary, it mentions that she's weeping four times in those just couple verses. Mary stood weeping, verse 11. As Mary wept, Verse 11. Why are you weeping? The angels asked her. Jesus asked her, Why are you weeping? She is beside herself. She is hurting. She is in despair. With the death of Jesus, her new beginning, any hope of new beginning, is, is gone. So I want you to hear this. As I was reflecting on this passage, I, I realized that um, the only response to a world without the risen Christ is tears. The only response to a world without the risen Christ is weeping, is tears. The only response to a world where there are bombings of eight churches coordinated on an Easter morning, or where African-American churches are burned down, or where um, children are separated from their parents for months and months, where uh, into a world of abuse and neglect, and all the things that we see and experience in our life. The only response to a world absent the resurrected Christ are tears, is weeping, and that is what she is experiencing. She cries because 
she has known the world without Jesus, and it was horrible. See, Mary Magdalene, we, we don't know a lot about her, but we're learning more and more as we learn more about archaeology. She is from the city of Magdala. That's why we call her Mary Magdalene, or Mary of Magdala. And Magdala is one of the richest and most active cities in Galilee. All right? it's, it's pretty close to Capernaum. And it's, it's a happening place. It's an up-and-coming place. It's uh, really wealthy, really busy, kind of intersecting uh, a lot of different cultures. And the reason why it's so busy and flourishing and growing is because it is a fishing town. And they are known for fishing seven different kinds of fish, but one in particular has got them on the map, and it's these little teeny uh, minnow-type, anchovy-type fish that they would dry and season, and they would ship them all over the Roman Empire. And the, Roman, the Romans loved these things. It was like the Doritos of the day, if you like Doritos. It was like the, the latest and the greatest of the food. Now, I know Doritos, you might... Beg uh, to differ with me, but man, it's the, the talkies, right? Gotcha. All right, and so they are just booming, and Mary comes from this place, and she is grouped among the women in Luke eight that, uh, as followers of Jesus, who are supporting Jesus in his ministry from their wealth. They're supporting Jesus so that he can go from town to town, from place to place, and proclaim good news. And so she's part of this group of women, these wealthy women that are supporting Jesus. But before that, before the support kicked in, she had a radical encounter with Jesus. In Mark, we just get one verse in the scriptures. It's Mark 16, verse 19. And what we learn there is that she was the one from whom seven demons were cast out by Jesus. That's all it says. Seven demons were cast out of her by Jesus. Now, can you imagine, we just, we just, uh, the, the oppression, the, the pain, what it would be like to be oppressed, inflicted by demonic powers, sevenfold. We don't know if this is seven specific spirits or or the number seven can just mean like a lot, like fullness, like fully oppressed. But she is oppressed. She is tormented. And I know that people I've met that um, struggle uh, with oppression and have, have experienced some of these things, these, these, these beings do not speak nice words into your life, all right? They're not like encouragers, okay? There's, they speak shame, they speak humiliation, they rob you of your dignity, they speak lies, and they attack the core of who you are. And they're, uh, so she would have been tormented by these seven spirits. Her life would have been held Right? And compelled by darkness, by oppression, by evil. And she meets Jesus, and Jesus frees her from this. She is 
saved. She is redeemed. Her life is transformed. And she becomes the most courageous and um, devoted disciple in Jesus' posse. All right? She is following him, supporting him. She is the only disciple mentioned to be at the foot of the cross in all four of the Gospels, and the first one to be at the empty tomb and find and discover that Jesus is not there, and the first one to proclaim the best news in all of history that Christ has risen from the dead. This is Mary Magdalene. And now we meet her weeping in the garden because she has lost her only hope. The person who saved her and released her from demonic oppression, from evil, from futility, is gone. But I love this, and I just, we're going we're gonna to finish pretty quickly. But look at verse uh, 15. Jesus steps into her grief. Jesus steps into the midst of her pain. Jesus steps into her sorrow, into her weeping. And remember, the only response to a world without the risen Christ is weeping. But here comes the risen Christ. Here comes Jesus, having conquered death. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And Mary, can imagine just kind of her looking over her shoulder, supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And this is a powerful, this is powerful. She doesn't recognize Jesus, even when she sees him. She doesn't recognize Jesus when he speaks these questions to her. When does she recognize him? She speaks when he speaks her name. Mary. And when she hears her name cross the vocal cords and the lips of Jesus, she recognizes this is Jesus. I just imagine, why would she recognize that? Could it be that she's never heard anyone else speak her name in the way that Jesus has spoken her name? Full of love. Without cond condemnation. Knowing her fully. Knowing her past. Knowing her shame. But he has spoken her name and she has heard him speak her name in this way that is full of unconditional love as she's journeyed with Jesus. It's like, do you ever, my mom's here, there's sometimes when she speaks my name and like there's just like this, she, I just tell, she like really means it. Sometimes, but I think it's Jesse, I love you, or Jesse, and I can just see it in her eyes. Have you ever gotten that mom? Um, that mom look, that mom, you just feel it. That's got to be something like this. I was uh, at uh, Ciclovia a couple years ago, and there was a woman that I had met about a year before in front of our home, and uh, she came up to our booth, and I recognized her. By God's grace, I remembered her name. And 
she was just looking down. She was grabbing some granola bars. She's, she's a woman that um, I, I have met and seen, and she works on the streets uh, in our neighborhood. And she's looking down, and she's going getting some granola bars, and I say, I'm not going to use her real name, but I say, Susan, hi. And she looked up, shocked, looked into my eyes. She said, how do you know my name? No one remembers my name. I said, I remember your name. Jesus knows Mary's name. And he speaks Mary's name with absolute love. Unconditional love. Fully aware of who she is. And it's life-changing for her. She recognizes that she is now held, not by her past, not by demonic powers. She is held and compelled by God's love alone. And it's always been this way. What resurrection teaches us, what the cross and resurrection teach us, is number one, that we've been rescued. We've been rescued from what has held us, held us captive. We've been rescued from our sin. We've been rescued from the sins committed against us that threaten to define us, right? The things that have been done to us that cause us so much pain. We have been rescued from the, the, the effects of sin and the guilt of sin, all right? That's what Jesus does on the cross and through his resurrection. But that's not all the cross and resurrection does. It also reveals who God really is. The cross and resurrection not only rescue us from our sin and from our despair and from a hopeless world, but it reveals God's heart towards us and it reveals how God's heart has always been towards us. See, we get into our mind, this is what Mary learns here. Mary is in despair because she does not want to be defined as the woman oppressed by seven demons. And who knows what kind of life she lived before that as, as one oppressed and afflicted by such horrible evil. But she doesn't want to return to that. But, and she might be tempted to buy the lie that we all are tempted to buy, and that is that our behavior determines God's love towards us, right? That what we do kind of changes God's attitude towards us. But what I'm learning and what I believe this story teaches us and scripture teaches us is, and what the cross reveals is that God, his heart towards us has never changed no matter what you do, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter how much shame or guilt you feel, God's heart has never changed. And the cross and the resurrection reveals that God has always held you in his love. And God always is waiting for you to return. I think she she it reminds me of the parable. We'll end here. The parable of the prodigal son. Jesus tells it to tell us, show us what God is really like. I think we get this idea when we sin or we're sinners, we're wretched sinners and God has to turn his face away and turn his back towards us and what Jesus did on the cross was turn, change God's mind about us. 
But I think what the cross and resurrection does is actually reveal that God's heart has never changed. It's a heart of a father in the story of the prodigal son, who when his son leaves and shames him and takes his inheritance away, right, and spends it, it says, on desolate living. You can just let your mind go on that. On, on all, he just spends all of his money on just satisfying every desire that he has until he runs out of all of his money. He shamed his father. He's rejected him. He's turned his back on his father. But what's the picture of God that we get in this parable? Do you remember? What's the posture of God? Has he turned his back on him and disowned him and written him out of his will? So I never want to see that kid's face again. No, we, the picture we see of God is that he's looking out his window. He's looking at the horizon every moment of every day, looking to see if his son is going to return. And that day when his son finally does return, he sees him on the horizon. He, he runs out of the house, runs towards his son with his arms wide open and embraces him, revealing that his heart has always been waiting for his son to return, that nothing has changed in God's heart towards his son. All that needed to change was for his son to turn back to the God who was always waiting for him with love. See, we are always held and compelled by God's love. Nothing changes that. And the cross and the resurrection reveal that God is truly for us, that God always loves us. And we need only to turn towards the God who is waiting with open arms to receive us. Not even just waiting. He doesn't wait at the house. He runs out of the house to meet his son. Mary meets this man in the garden, this resurrected Jesus, who wipes her tears away, just as it says will happen in Revelation 21, right? Every tear wiped away. She discovers herself that she is free to be held and compelled by Christ's love alone. And so, just to end, how is she compelled? She is given the greatest mission ever and the first one to ever be give the, given the gift to proclaim and to bear the best news that has ever been proclaimed. She goes, Jesus commissions her, sends her, go tell everyone. Go tell the disciples what you have seen. And she goes and tells. She is compelled by love on mission. And that's how we are. So let me ask you this question once more. What is holding on to you? What compels you? What is what are you held by? Are you held by guilt? Are you held by uh, this necessity to please people? Are you held by your past, by the trauma that you've experienced? Are you held by the, the, the grief that you hold into your soul? And does that compel your actions? Are you free from all that holds you? 
except for love? That's the offer of resurrection. To turn to the God who desires to hold you in his love and sends you in his love. What do you need to surrender and to let go of? And how can you embrace and receive the love that God has for you and has always had for you? Um, could you go to the response there, Savannah? We're going to sing a few more songs, and then we'll get to eat. So, But this is what we're going to respond um, after we sing a couple songs. I want to give you time to allow the Holy Spirit to work. Here, I'm not speaking just words. I am speaking words, but the Holy Spirit is at work, all right? And apart from His work, we might as well be here. But the Holy Spirit is always at work. And he is prompting and wants to speak to you. I don't know how he wants to speak to you. I don't know what he's giving rise uh, to your heart and to your mind. Something might have jumped up into your mind. Oh, I, I'm just living out of guilt and I am compelled by guilt. I parent from a fear. I'm compelled and held by fear, because I, I parent out of that. Maybe that just rose to your mind. Whatever it may be, don't discount it, because the Holy Spirit is at work. So pay attention to what's coming to mind right now. What holds you? What compels you? And how do you need to receive the love that Jesus has in resurrection? We're going to say this in a bit, minute. Resurrected Jesus, you have freed me from being held and compelled by blank. I choose to live in freedom, held and compelled by love alone. Let's sing to the resurrected Christ. <laughs>